0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome Brad Smith to the show. Welcome, Brad. Jeremy, thanks for having me. I've known Brad for a while when he was the head of Revenue operations over at Terminus, but he recently set off on his own. He's now the CEO of Sonar Software. They are a change management and collaboration platform that helps companies manage their tech stack. Our topic today is actually going to be all about accurate forecasting and pipeline management, and it's all the more interesting because you know Brad has moved from kind of one side on the rev ops side to now actually having to manage his own ops. We'll get into that. Before we do that, I'd love to get to know you a little better. And one of the ways I get to know people is by their reading habits. So Brad, first question for you is, what is your favorite sales book of all time? And what's one of the key takeaways you got from it?
1: One of the books I've enjoyed most recently is about a year or so ago and I read it was Jim Cook's book, Quench Your Own Thirst. So for those that don't know Jim, he was the CEO and founder of Boston Brewing Company, most notable for Sam Adams Brewery his book is great because he walks through in a very comical but also business savvy manner of how he started the company you know some of the lessons he learned along the way i think the most interesting takeaway from it he has this thing called the rope theory and he's really big into mountain climbing and being outdoors and he's always had this theory of when you're rock climbing you always want to have enough equipment with you that you can you know, succeed at the top of your climb, but you don't want to bring a ton of stuff with you because obviously it's heavy and you're climbing a mountain. So his theory of the rope theory is bring enough rope that gets you to the top of the mountain, but don't leave any of it behind. And I think the translation to that, we look at this and how do we buy software? How do we buy office space? How do we buy all the things that we need to run our business successfully? Let's run it in an efficient way. Let's don't just buy something to buy it. Let's don't leave any of the rope behind on the top of the mountain. Let's take everything with us. Be very economical and efficient of how we operate a business. And so highly suggest reading his book. You'll probably laugh out loud a handful of times through reading it. You're great for any sort of vacation or just uh, casual reading.
0: Well, I can tell from that book, you know, why you're helping people root out and find efficiencies in their tech stack, but we'll switch over to our our topic of the day, which is all about kind of accurate forecasting and pipeline management. If you could describe a little bit of this transition that you've had, right, in being in revenue operations for many years before switching over into starting your company where you're wearing many hats, can you talk a little bit about sort of the before and after there? So even going back
1: to the days before starting at Terminus, which I most recently was with, I was running sales operations, which has now evolved into revenue operations, which we'll chat a little bit about later on. You know, I think when you really start to look at pipeline management in that light, we're a very high velocity, high speed sales motion. As someone in revenue operations and sales operations, you're constantly being asked, you know, what does our forecast look like? What does our pipeline look like? Do we have enough to uh, to hit our quota? To hit our targets? Where do we fill in gaps? Where are our bottlenecks? And that's always been the hat I've worn, right? Be on the analytical side and Obviously, using the systems and tools that we have to help us understand what those metrics and numbers look like. But I've always been on that side of the fence, you know, helping our sales leaders, our success leaders, our finance leaders understand what the state of the business is in regards to our pipeline. That only grew in responsibility when I moved from Gather to Terminus, obviously a little bit bigger of a company, but all the same pieces are at play where you're trying to understand... What does this quarter look like? What does next quarter look like? Are we setting ourselves up today and on day one of our fiscal year to hit our goals on day 365 of the same year? And I think we've all been in the slicing and dicing mode of spreadsheets and as well as some of the software out there that's helping us achieve that. But that's really been a, a core piece to my background probably over the last four or five years. Now, ironically enough, starting my own business, it's something that I'm looking to do just in a little bit of a different lens. And so not only am I responsible for that same forecast, looking to see what our numbers look like, you know, provide those updates to the rest of my team and to our investors and everyone else, but I'm also the person that's responsible for that data actually creating it. You know, funny enough, you know, we're going through our pipeline steps and management throughout the week, and there's been a handful of times where you know my co-founder, Jack, is getting into our Salesforce org and writing reports, and he spins around. He's like, Brad, come on, man. You got to clean up your pipeline. So it's a little interesting now being on the other side of that fence and not only helping understand what our business looks like you know, from 10,000 feet, but also being the one responsible for updating my opportunities and making sure that I'm updating stages correctly It's definitely come full circle, I'd say, if anything, over the last couple of months of managing this, a new level of empathy for the seller and what it takes to keep a healthy
0: pipeline and keeping your opportunities up to date. One thing I wanted to kind of get at, and, and maybe you can talk a little bit to this, is what the forecasting process was for you, either at Gather or at Terminus. How did you actually go about assembling the forecast? So I think the first part
1: to understand your forecast is just really understanding your sales motion. We're at Gather, and again, we were, you know, again, at a higher velocity. And so you have to understand if we're closing deals on an average of, I think when I was there, 17 to 21 days was our average sales cycle. The ACV was a little bit lower. And so when you think of the high velocity side of things, you're really in a, a quantity game, very different from Terminus, which we'll get into in a second. But I think in order to even establish a pipeline and a forecasting model, you have to know what your sales cycle looks like. In those high velocity times, it's a little tough, right? Because it's hard to forecast for an entire quarter, not knowing, you don't even have enough data quite yet to say what your pipeline should actually look like. So if you're setting out of a goal to close a million dollars in one quarter, you don't actually have enough of those opportunities yet on day one of that quarter to understand (laughs) if you're going to hit that or not. And so you're looking for other signals and other data pieces that are showing trends into that. I think you take one step back from it. you look to see how many demos per week are we setting up for SDRs? How many SQLs or MQLs are coming through from the marketing side to help drive that number to see if we're on a pace? Truly in some of those high velocity mentalities, it's not as much of, do I have the data to support my forecast? It's more of, am I seeing enough of the trends in my daily metrics or my weekly metrics of demos being created and set MQLs coming through the top of the funnel from an inbound perspective that help drive what that pace looks like.
0: As I've been reflecting on this, and you mentioned a situation with a 20-day sales cycle, it's hard to even estimate the month when that is the case because you're going to have a lot that comes in and closes. But I think that's true of whatever it is. It's like whenever your sales cycle is shorter than the period you're forecasting, your pipeline is not going to reflect all of the deals that are going to come in. So you need some other mechanism I think about maybe we can drill into each one of these kind of forest things and maybe there's a fifth or a sixth, let me know. But I think about four things you can triangulate with. One is the deals in the pipeline, right? And, you know, maybe you look at the weighted and you can get more and more sophisticated with weighting with, you know, some AI support there too. Two is like, I'll call it a, a bid or a commit, which is you ask your managers to look at their pipeline and call a number, which may be above or below. And even reps. I mean, in some places, people actually ask reps to do. I love to just get into more detail on that one. So that sort of approach to three is the one you you talked about just now, where you look at trend, and that trend also can be you know different levels of sophistication, potentially even with AI support there too. And then the fourth one you hinted at also, you can build up a pure capacity based model. Besides those four things, are there other things that you've used to triangulate the forecast? The only thing that I would add, and it's a tad subjective, and
1: I've heard counter-arguments to it as well, so I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, seasonality, because you're seeing a lot now. We made this transition when I was a termist to switch your fiscal
0: year, not to align to your calendar year. There's a lot of nonlinearity, and you kind of hinted at it with those fiscal years, right, which is, I'll bet for most companies, if they're on a Feb 1 to Jan 31, like that last week or two of January is a pretty huge week. How have you dealt with forecasting in the face of that degree of nonlinearity at the ends of those big periods?
1: Yeah, uh, the first thing that I used to always call out, and again, now I'm being held honest on this for my co-founder doing the same thing to me. I think just by nature, a lot of the times we parking lot deals at the end of quarters or at the end of fiscal years. So there's times that, that I've battled it on the revenue operation side of that's probably one of my first reports. If I can start sorting and putting these projected close dates in buckets. What I can start to do is understand if a rep has 90% of their pipeline all forecasted to close in the same day, it usually is a big red flag to me. I could very quickly call that out. I really hope you're right and that you close your entire quota right here in the last three days of January at the end of our fiscal year. But you know, there's honestly just not enough hours in the day for you to have that many phone calls and to send that many agreements out the door. <laughs> so how can we reset that? Can we pull some of those forward? And you know maybe even push some of those out. I know there's a whole topic of closing opportunities, market is closed loss. But I think if you start there, and you start to see some trends, if you're starting to look at some of your reps and understand you know what their trends are, you can kind of mitigate against that in your own regard. But I think it all comes down to how you coach those. I think another big piece of that is having a well established rules of engagement, so that you have a certain amount of opportunities in a pipeline, have these you know scattered out across the whole quarter or across the whole year. Anomaly detection, I think, is what that boils down to. If you see a a rep that's always, you know, myself included being a rep now, putting opportunities at the end of quarters and end of months is usually the biggest place that I start a big red flag.
0: The other thing is if your quarter ends Jan 31, you tend to see a whole crap load of deals that are parking lotted on February 1st, right? Just outside the window so that they escape inspection, you know, yet are sort of there in the rep's mind.
1: The thing that I've seen help with that and just, just the generalized perspective of parking lots is having a very well-established rules of engagement. If you can keep some pretty tight guardrails around what your sellers and what your sales team, and this even goes into, you know, how you establish your customer success team too, what they could truly own and the volume that they can own. You know, in my personal opinion, it gives them more of a sense of ownership. If you, you know, let's say you limit your sales team to, you know, you can own up to a hundred opportunities. You know, having a thought-provoking number of opportunities that a certain rep can own, and set an upper bound to it. If you limit them to that, you know they're going to take more pride and ownership and responsibility in the ones that they can own because they need to make the most out of those. As opposed to the shotgun blast, you know, I can own a thousand opportunities. Let me just, you know, start email blasting everyone. I know you have a ton of content on email deliverability and making sure that the right content gets pushed there, but. I think it starts to get a little too diluted when you have too high of a number that a rep can own. They just don't get to focus heavily on the personalization side of things and making sure that that opportunity is getting the attention it really deserves.
0: Before it gets away from us, and we will drill into some of those other types of kind of forecasting approaches, but you mentioned the importance of marking things as closed lost. Since you brought it up, can you expand on that a little bit? Oh boy. Yeah. (laughs) I think this is
1: the topic that every account executive or seller hates talking about. I think it's truly rooted in the fact that we all like to think optimistically that every conversation we have will be fruitful and that we can close every op. I think the reality is we know the conversion rates behind that tell us that that is not true. But regardless, people don't want to mark things as closed loss for a couple of reasons. If you don't have a well-established ROE, you feel like you mark the opportunity as closed loss. Therefore, you lose the account. Someone else can pick it back up if it comes inbound. So having really tight guardrails around your rules of engagement if you mark an opportunity as closed lost, you still own that account for 90 days or whatever your time period works for your business is It's super critical. But I think putting my RevOps hat back on, this just used to drive me bananas. I would sit here and run these reports of, you know, open pipeline and, you know, I'll just use kind of fictitious numbers here. But we have an open pipeline of $50 million and we have a goal for this quarter to hit 3 million in bookings. Simple math probably tells you, man, if you have that big of a pipeline, <laughs> you better hit that number. <laughs> like There's plenty of at-bats for you to close these deals. Um, if you have that healthy of a pipeline, you should be able to achieve you know, a $3 million close. But the reality is some of those opportunities are stale, kind of dragged your feet on a little bit. You don't want to market as close-lost. And what that ends up happening, when you take that number all the way from the sales floor up through leadership and all the way to the board meeting – the folks that are looking at that number and really making a lot of critical decisions based on it, you know, their emphasis is kind of that same regard. Why do we have so much of this pipeline, but you're not being able to hit this three million dollar number? We're getting closer to two five. What's going on? And it just causes a little bit of undue friction in the analysis of it. You know, in realistic approaches, what I've always done as we go into some of those board meetings in previous lives, you know, here's what our metrics are telling us. Let's also peel these back. Some of these opportunities are aged out over you know 180 days our standard sales cycle is closer to 90 uh, we have a lot of metrics that show that you know you're not going to even though you got the bluebird you want that long standing opportunity to close it probably only has about a 2 or 3% chance of really closing so we start to peel back and taper back some of the aged out opportunities to get a more realistic view of the pipeline and that 50 million dollar number very quickly gets shaved down to 30 and then you start to have a more meaningful conversation with your you know, your leadership teams and uh, your boards and saying, you know, we can close 10% of our real pipeline, which is 30 million and not 50 million. And, and that's a little bit more consumable. There's this entirely other, and this is just me as a buyer of software, which one well, says it to say out loud, because <laughs> anytime you mark yourself as a buyer of software, you just get your inbox gets flooded. But I'll, I'll go ahead and claim that persona for now. <laughs> But as a buyer of software, I'm always very transparent with people that are selling to me and I'll even tell them bluntly, hey, go ahead and mark this opportunity as closed loss. We're not going to have a chance to even like work with you guys for another three or four quarters. I don't want to inflate your pipeline. And so my mentality, as I've always looked at opportunities, is close these out and get them back over to your marketing team. They do such a better job of articulating that sort of message in you. And they don't sit there and send the email about asking about the, the weather or how your sports team's doing. They send you the little bit of a more slower or casual drip campaign that honestly as a buyer, I appreciate I still get an email once or twice a month you know trying to keep me warm and trying to keep me engaged with what's going on with their software or their solution they're selling to me one it's very well articulated because someone in marketing and on the content side of things put that together in a very meaningful way more importantly, I don't have this odd sense of obligation or bias to respond to them It's great that I get the information they keep me updated on what's on the roadmap or new features that are coming out but I don't Start to build this kind of odd relationship with that seller anymore. Who's just still trying to keep me warm, but not you know doing the best job of being respectful of my time. And so, mark these opportunities, close lost. Let them you keep these folks warm. And I promise you, because they do such a great job of pushing the brand and pushing what's going on with the platform, this person will come back when the time's right. And as a buyer, I can speak personally to that because I get more out of their emails than I do the one or two lines of "Hey, what's the weather like."
0: On the deals in the pipeline side, I've noticed a lot of sales leaders really prefer pipeline coverage ratios to weighted pipeline, right? They'll take their total pipeline, divide that by the revenue that's needed and, you know, get a total pipeline coverage ratio as opposed to just using the weighted pipeline. Any thoughts on, you know, which is better and why people are doing it one way versus the other? Both I can see being successful.
1: I'd honestly encourage anyone to take both in stride. I wouldn't say... Take weighted pipeline only and don't take you know, quota coverage pipeline. I like to think on the quota coverage side, that's going to be one of those things. Have we generated enough demand and do we really have enough stuff in the hopper to close? I genuinely like seeing the weighted pipeline piece. I think I can get a little bit more action-oriented results out of it, mainly because it's a little bit more granular. And so when we start to think weighted, I think this is the last time, two times ago, you and I were you know, jumping on a screen share, just kind of nerding out on this stuff. I think what you get to start seeing on the weighted pipeline side of things, which is really just looking at, you know, let's say I've got five stages, you know, what's my chance of closing an opportunity that's in stage one versus stage two versus stage three? And That's where you start to see those probabilities increase. One of the coolest things that I've looked at from a data analytics side is how those conversion rates change month over month or quarter over quarter or year over year, because I think that's truly telling to what your sales motion looks like. I think most companies would agree as they're selling their product, their product is becoming more advanced. Typically, that makes the sales cycle go a little bit longer. If you're adding new features, it takes you longer in demos to show those. Price point is probably going up, which means you're including new buyer personas and you're bringing legal and compliance involved, and things like that. So when you start to look at those weighted pieces of it and quarter over quarter, you see, hey... Two quarters ago, when we were in stage three, we were closing 40% of our opportunities. But now once it gets to stage three, we're only closing 20%. That's a drastic drop. Like what happened? Well, we could probably back into what's happened because our sales cycle has increased, price has gone up. We have to now bring in IT and compliance because of some of the different pieces that our software is doing. And so you can start to root cause a little bit more of that. Now, the other approach, again, kind of I guess a little bit of bottoms up when you think about quota coverage and, and carry specific percentages or ratios to exceed that, I would highly encourage anyone on the sales leadership side to really drill into that. You get that not only from your 10,000 foot view of you as a sales org, do you have enough for your entire organization to hit your target? But that's when you start to really leverage these really cool new softwares out there too that are doing this for you to see, hey, rep number one, you have you know 10x your quota coverage we have 82 days left in the quarter. Let's go ahead and commit X percent of that to closing because now we know you're going to be able to hit your goal or you're not. And we know really early on in the quarter if we can do that.
0: If people want to learn more about your company, Sonar Software, or you know, get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? You can
1: connect with me on LinkedIn, of course. You can always come to our website, csonar.com, S-E-E-S-O-N-A-R.com. Feel free to reach out. Love to talk all things Sonar
0: and help folks manage their tech stack a little bit better. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.